Greetings, relatives. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm your host and gardener of the Native Seed Podcast. Welcome to the Native Seed Pod, a podcast aimed at celebrating the diversity and beauty of native seeds, soils, and indigenous foods. Greetings, Rene, Buju, Tanshikia. Aloha mai. Aloha mai. Uh, it's so wonderful to be here with you on the edge of the Pacific Plate at the Mesa Refuge. Yes, it's been an honor to be here and to um, absorb all of the creative energy that you and other members and this place in itself vibrates. Absolutely, yes, and being a, a person of the Pacific. Uh, I completely enjoyed looking out this window facing to the west and seeing that mountain range and learning that that is the Pacific Plate right there, right outside this window. So home is just a few miles away that <laughs> a way. A few miles, <laughs> a few nautical miles that way, exactly. Oh. Well, um, for our listeners of the Native Seed Pod, I would love it if you could introduce yourself. Hmm, okay. Aloha e nā kua, nā uma kua, nā kupuna, a me nā kanaka apau. O mauna loa, a me mauna kea, ko'u mau mauna. A kā o ko'u laupoko, ka mauna o ko'u ainahanau. O waiakea, ko'u wai, a me ko'u ahupua, me ka moku o keawe. A wai uli ko'u kai. A kā, o kalama me ka moku o o ahu, ko'u ka kai puna hele. Aloha. Aloha. Oh, wow, oh, Renee Puolani Lewis. Um, that is something that I've learned to do as an introduction with uh, the learning with Halau Ohia, um, as well as um, something that Auntie Kuka Hakalau at uh, Kua Kanaka um, is teaching. Uh, so it's a different form of introduction that um, goes back and expresses those places, uh, the mountains, the waterways. Uh, the land sections, the uh, ocean um, that uh, that I where I live and where I vibrate from. So um, mm. that's uh, our our my new way of introducing myself. I've had so many different um, iterations of who I am going through um, academia and and learning and evolving in my practice as I continue to be a learner of Hawaii life ways, of Ike Hawaii. Um, there's so many different ways to say that and many mentors have their ways of expressing that. So um, I, I honor all of them and at the same time, if I'm saying anything that is not um, that is not something that they're, um, is of their teaching and it, it is of my experience or my own expression of their teaching. So those would be my own um, faults to continue to learn from. Um, so that's that's me. That's where I am right Wonderful. now. Wonderful. Well, thank you for bringing your full self here and all your ancestors in your sacred places, in your mm. mountains, in your waters. It's something I appreciate so much about Pacific Islander peoples is your uh, specificity um, with your sacred mountains and waters. And of course, as Native Americans, we do that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just as island nations, I think you have a, such a beautiful connection to the Moana and mm -hmm. to the canoes that uh, brought you to your homelands. Yes, yes. yes. Well, thank you. It's such a joy to have you on the Native Seed Pod. And there's so many things I want to ask you about. But first, I want to share a little bit um, and ask you about this extraordinary book you produced, Kanaka Hawaii Cartography. Wow. Uh, hula, Navigation, and Oratory. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your book and what it means to be a Kanaka Hawaii cartographer. Okay, so that wasn't the book I thought I was going to write. I, I thought I would put something together right out of my dissertation, kind of adjust things here and there, um, and turn in something that was of my dissertation-like. 
Um, and it turned out the editor said, this is good. I, I think maybe I need to have somebody, another Native American studies, uh, somebody with a different perspective look at your piece. I would like to thank Beth Piatote for being that person who gently nudged me in saying that this is a really good idea, but the way that I was presenting it through Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 was more of a Western type of performance um, where I was trying to use performance as a means of presentation of cartographic expression for Hawaii people. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 being a Western tradition did not sit right with her and she gently advised me that perhaps it would be a good idea to find a Hawaii performance method to present your ideas. And I did not know what that was going to look like. So I said, okay, um, let, me give, take me, let me give a little bit of time to this. I believe I took a summer and I just thought about it and I wrote out what I would want to read if I was to write about cartography. Um, you see, the first Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 style book was more about storied place names and what the interaction with Beth and the um, editor really made me see was that I had the opportunity to take this to the next level and to talk about the cartography. Mm. And that's where this book was born, out of that conversation. And after I finished my, my, my documenting of what I thought this book should be, um, I get, I, I, of course, it took a picturesque form because I'm a cartographer. I'm going to put images together. And it was words, but it was the way that it flowed on the page. And Beth took a look at this and said, you have to put this in your book. And I can't find that paper. Oh, I felt so bad. But that paper was essentially what this book is. And it meant I had to do an entirely new dissertation because I didn't really know a lot of the things that were in that book. And if it wasn't for being mentored for the three years that it took me to write this book by the woman who's on the cover of the book, Auntie Kekuhi Keli Ikanaka Ole Ohaililani, um, sitting with me when I had questions about, okay, well, this is the way I think that we orient ourselves. What do you think? And she would um, help. Really, what she was doing was reformatting the way my brain was working and understanding the concepts um, from a Western cartographic view and shaping it into something that was more pliable to a Hawaii view. And um, that's, and it's sort of, I, this grew out of that, um, under, those understandings. Um, so they're, they're really my understandings of our conversation. Um, and probably she has a lot more depth of every single topic that's in here. I just, um, when I approached her, I said, I'm not looking to give away all the secrets because I don't think that's my responsibility. I, I don't own any of the secrets. I don't, we never do, but some people maintain them and I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking to share just enough so that other peoples, other native peoples, even cartographic peoples can understand um, that we do have our own expressions. We do have our own social, uh, spatial and um, um, relational understandings of space and place and our roles in it. And we have ways of expressing them that are not the same as Western ways. And so I just wanted to give enough information that would allow for that, while at the same time, being what our cartographer does is compile information from various sources, I wanted to make sure all those sources were of native uh, heritage. Um, not all of them are, most of them are, but I wanted to call attention to the good works that other scholars in Hawaii as well as in Native America are doing so that um, as I'm skimming over across the surface, any person who is interested in, say, oratory can take a look at the works of the people in that section to get more in-depth information. I don't have to present it. I can let those people, those scholars, present their own work. But I can be a point of um, entry for those people who read the book and want to know more about those topics. So that's, that's how I went about approaching this particular book. And I have to say, it has changed me. And I believe, um, I, I remember uh, Kekuhi saying at one point, that's the waiuli, that's the, 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 the spirit, that's the change. 
And I didn't understand the term. And she said, well, when you write something, did it change you? And I said, yes. And she said, that's the white uli. That's the, the sacrifice. That's the gift mm. that you give to spirit, the, mm. the, that, that entity. So Beautiful. this book changed me. Well, and it's changed me and all of its readers because you certainly model what we talk about as a decolonial methodology and you re-indigenize the cartographic field with your Hawaiian worldview, your Hawaiian life ways. And it's truly inspirational. I love it. I've learned so much from it. And like you said, it's it inspires me to say, oh, what is our Anishinaabe cartography? Mm. How did we map our lakes and our mountains and our forests? And then how did that change when we went into the plains? And so it's what are our concepts of space and time and place names and uh, sense of self? Mm. Um, what I love in here, you really explode the whole con the western concept of the self because mm -hmm. you you show all the dimensions of what it means to be human in relationship with your aina mm -hmm. with your land mm -hmm. and your skies and your waters and mm -hmm. um so i think it's a very important book it's out um by oregon state university press yes. and it's available on amazon yes it is kanaka hawaii cartography i really appreciate it and in there, you share so much wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and speaking of the word aina, which means in the most simplest translation, land. Mm -hmm. uh, but you play on the word aina because embedded in that word, it seems, is also the, the concept of food. Yes. Uh, and other things. So if you can share a little bit about the Hawaiian conception of aina and food or land, that would be very, very helpful. Yes, um, you, you've, you've, I, actually, I actually looked that up um, earlier because there's two different ways to pronounce the word that sounds like aina. Um, what you were saying actually, I believe, is meal. Um, to have the term aina uh, is a meal. The word, the short, short part in the front, the, two let, the three letters in the front, the okina, the a and the i, ai, is food that I, by itself is mm -hmm. food and in 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 the hawaii understanding of language that i have at this point in my life the the modifier at the end the na when there's a an na at the end it actually um i i actually don't know the right terminology but it does something to the word of course it's a <laughs> it, it modifies it it modifies yes. it somehow <laughs> right and uh, in this case it's it sort of makes it the thing that is of the food so aina is a meal. It can be a meal, but aina, that's land. And, and um, there's a, a diacritical mark over the first A for the, for the term that is land. And there is not one for the term that is food. Mm. So you can see that the, the, the term food, ai, and, and specifically mea ai, because there's different kinds of ai. There's fish kind of ai, there's vegetables. So um, there's mea ai, there's ia, um, there's a, a, a number of different ways of expressing that. But ai by itself is just food, aina is a meal, and aina is that land from which the food you eat is comes from, derived, is derived. Beautiful. Yeah, that's such a profound connection. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of the phrase that uh, Enrique Samon, a Tarahumara scholar, um, his book is called uh, Eating the Landscape, right? Oh, Eating the Landscape, yeah. because all our food comes from the land, mm -hmm. all of it. And modern society has really forgotten that. Mm -hmm. But when you live on an island and your aina or aina uh -huh. comes from your aina, right. <laughs> you know that every single day. Yeah. And, and add to that the, the idea that we understand because we're, of where we put our ancestors' bones, where we bury them, we bury them in our land. Um, granted, we have practices and the bones are all that gets buried in the land. So that's a different practice I don't know about, but I know it exists and it was for good reason. Um, but the bones of our of the ancestors of where of, on the land that fed them, they return their bones to that land. And so you can see how the bones of our ancestors is really what's feeding the generation to come. 
Um, and, and again, this is how we become invested in the landscape. We, we become part of it. it we, we become one geneolo genealogically. And in many places, I'm sure, and where, where you're from too, there are certain places that are associated with certain families. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you just know if you say a family name, you know exactly what part of the island that person is from. Um, then there's also certain um, families that are associated with specific types of professions. Some of them are just absolutely graceful dancers. Some of them have the most beautiful voices to sing and, and chant. Um, and some of them just, oh my goodness, they are beautiful warriors, uh, which would mean during off war, off season of war, they are beautiful dancers. <laughs> so, um, and, I, and, and I recall that we went to one performance in New Zealand where we saw an absolutely beautiful male dancer, a beautiful <laughs> specimen of a Hawaii man. Oh my yes, goodness. Yes, we did. Ah. That was a treat. And, and those are things that sometimes run in families. Mm. I'm not certain about his, but that's what I had to, I had to segue into that because that was a beauty. That was a beauty. Yeah, it took your breath away. Yes. Yes. I'm reminded also learning from you and other Hawaiian brothers and sisters, the your word for the bones of our ancestors, iwi or evie, 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 and then traveling with our Maori relatives, one of the names for their tribes is evie or iwi. Yeah, they say the w there, right? And I w i. It's the same um, uh, spelling, I believe. Yeah, Just same a, spelling. Maybe not quite the same uh, pronunciation. That's right. That's it's the right. English accent. Or for them, it's the American accent. Yes. Uh, whichever you side exactly. you're on. Exactly. Well, on that incredible connection between the food and the land, what does food sovereignty mean to you as an islander? Wow. Um, I would, food sovereignty to me um, at this point is, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with the term sovereignty yeah, only fine, because fine. I think of the term as being a state of being, whereas self-determination is a state of doing. And so food sovereignty, if I go to that term, it means that it's a, we, we are no longer um, worried about our food supply, that it's, it's, we are able to sustain um, enough of a food supply to not only take care of ourselves, and in a Hawaii thought, we don't think of our taking care of ourselves first. We think of taking care of the land first, because we know if we, we are able to do the food sustainably, the land will thrive. So as long as we can do this in a way that the land is taken care of, it will take care of us. We will have enough food to survive and to go forth um, uh, for many, many ge different generations. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So I love that distinction. So that's food sovereignty and then food self-determination. That's what we can do. Yes. If we're unfettered because we are live in a state of sovereignty to be able to create our own food supply. And this is something I believe we're supposed to be able to do on Hawaii homelands. Mm -hmm. And this is something I believe my kumu uh, and Uncle Howard Pea from, uh, he's a Ho'oponopono, a haku of Ho'oponopono. And can uh, you maybe... A student yes. of Auntie mm -hmm. Abby Napeahi. Mm -hmm. Ho'oponopono has been used in social, um, uh, social workers circles um, as a conflict resolution type of practice based in Hawaii traditions. And there's a lot of different methods, a lot of different ways of applying this. Um, that is one of them. Um, the method that Uncle Howard Pea learned from Auntie Abby Napeahe was more of a life skill. Ho'oponopono is something that belongs to the families that live in Hawaii Island, or for him on Hawaii Island, because he is on Hawaii Island, but in Hawaii period. Um, and he wants to bring that practice back to the people in the community um, so that, you know, not when there's problems in the household, the head of household, and it doesn't have to be the father, it can be the head of the household who's capable of doing this particular practice because not everyone is suited for it, but there will be somebody. And if those persons rise up and take those roles, then there's less, hopefully, conflict within the family, which then means there's more or less conflict within the community. Um, and then 
it's only necessary for someone of Uncle Howard's capabilities to come in when those people are unable to do the, their, their abilities for their own families. And it happens sometimes. But right now, you know, our practitioners are being overworked mm. because there's mm -hmm. a lot of, of stuff happening out there. And he believes, because he lives on Hawaii homeland, home, Hawaii home, yeah, Hawaiian homelands, <laughs> that he should have the right to be able to plant and grow whatever it is that he should be able to do. And I think there are some people um, who are who may start to rise and challenge the 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 system that is currently being run by the state for the homelands. Um, but yes, he wants. That's exactly what he wants to do. Is is um, implement the self be self-determined in his ability to raise food on his property sell it if he want on his property instead of having to go to a farmer's market um, be able to ha have perhaps an aquaponics system on his property by tapping into the water source that is on his property but we have issues like I'm sure you are oh, so familiar yes. with, and you're all. I'm sure your your <laughs> listeners know all about the water situation. Trying mm -hmm. to get that from a state or a county or a I, company, a corporation. I was just gonna say, you know, I saw this. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say other other people's TV shows and stuff. But of course. I saw this thing on Amazon called Goliath. It's a season three with Billy Bob Thornton and it's about California water. Water, oh, and, talk about a battle. Oh, the almond tree peoples and taking from the native lands. Oh and yeah. There was all kinds of intrigue. I, I tell you, I don't normally binge watch. <laughs> I think I finished that in three days. It's called Goliath. Goliath and it's a I season three one, but okay. um, you can watch each season separately, but some of the relationships Maybe a little off. Water wars. But We've had them before. Native people have them. Almost always, Standing Rock was could be perceived almost in one way it was more than that, but is a water war. Who controls the water? Who protects the water? Right, right. And this yeah. is to me that sovereignty, self determination issue, mm -hmm. because we should have the sovereignty to have the right to that, but we should be able to self determine the way that we use that. Yes. And we don't have either. At no, this point, no, and that's where I think food sovereignty in Hawaii. Um, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. This is just the way that comes to me first, but I can also say um, with great pride that I got to see um, some of the farms on the Waianae side of the island, and they are doing wonderfully. Their name escapes me right now. Maybe you can remember. Did you happen to go to Waianae on Oahu and oh, yeah. see the Mo'o? Oh, uh, no. yes, we're getting close to the yes, word. Yes, mo, 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 mo. We'll figure we'll, it out. We'll, we'll but uh, maybe we'll yes, interject we'll it later. We'll interject it, yes. But their, their farms are amazing. amazing. And what they're doing to help the youth um, and getting into more, um, uh, more farming and learning about the business of organic farming and, and, and selling to major restaurants on Oahu, major um, supermarkets on Oahu. Um, the, their system is amazing. And I think that is a, a, a positive um, place for us to model um, from because they have, they've really figured it out. They have, I think there's- Ma'o Farms. Ma'o, I, I know Ma it was close. Farms, yes. said Ma'o, sorry. Yeah, we're, Ma we're that made me remember it. Okay, Ma'o Farms. Yes. Yeah, they're doing extraordinary work. I think there's so many folks also, the work out at um, Waipa in Kauai. Mm -hmm. uh, Stacy Sprout um, in Hanalei area is doing incredible work with your poi, your taro, your mm -hmm. kalo and so many other traditional foods and the yeah. revitalization of those traditional foods against great threats of Monsanto and genetic engineering and water theft and land theft that is ongoing for all native lands, but yes. it seems particularly pronounced on small islands sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I remember very well staying at your beautiful home in Hilo and for breakfast having uh, Lovely uh, ulu breadfruit, breadfruit, yes. oh, lightly now. fried in yes. coconut oil yes. 
it was so good. So to me, that's food self-determination as well. Yeah. What you eat for breakfast is oh. your traditional food. Oh. It's very personal as well as being very political. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do that all the time. I, I know. Even the sweet potato, the kalo, and the breadfruit from our yard. We planted the sweet potato. We did. We, that we, was fantastic. We, we pulled it and yep. we boiled it and we mm-hmm. replanted it. And mm-hmm. yes, it was a wonderful. It was a wonderful visit. It was, and you know, you're practicing it daily. So mm-hmm. I always like to remind, you know, as Native people, whether we have a cup of tea that's made from our traditional herbs, or we eat a breakfast that is, you know, for blue cornmeal for the Pueblo people, or wild rice for my people, or ulu for your people. You know, every time we can incorporate that native traditional food back into our diet is an act of food self-determination. Well, then I'm I'm going to double down on that statement and say that it's not just only about feeding myself, but feeding my neighbors. Yes. Because I have excess. And I'm not one of those people that believes excess means I build a higher or longer fence. I, I make a bigger table. Yeah. And I, and I share it across the, uh, across the fence um, and uh, make sure that the, the neighbors who have lots of children um, have some good options. And thankfully, I have neighbors who love the food that I have. Uh-huh. So I know it's, my, my excess isn't going to be, you know, and I wouldn't mind if it goes compost, but it won't go into the trash. It will be um, eaten, it will be loved, and um, that's the whole point of, I guess, um, expanding definition of self-determination when it comes to food. Yes, absolutely, because we know the self is the land, the self is our community, is our neighbor, mm-hmm. in a more of indigenous worldviews. Mm-hmm. It's not just contained within the skin of one individual. You know, and I believe it was through you that I remember reading the um, statement from a Maori scholar, I'm not sure his name, where he said that I am empowered because of the Way, the people that I am able to, I am, I am powerful because of the people I can empower. Yes. And so if he can provide the food to these people, he's empowering them, which makes him more powerful because mm-hmm. he's giving his things away. Yes. Um, and and that's a, it was a really odd concept to give, a, give it away, to become more powerful. Um, a completely different spin on, on even the way the Western um, farming system works. You know, the, the excess gets dumped. I mean, I don't get that. I There's don't so get that. many places that excess can go. And, you know, I've seen it with, on, of course, TV shows or documentaries um, where people of, of like mind are just as concerned. <laughs> Um, but um, that that just is a completely opposite system. It really is. It is not based within what we would call natural law. I mean, you look at one apple tree, mm-hmm. look at the amount of apples, the generosity. This is something that uh, uh, Robin Kimmerer talks about, the generosity of plants, right? They give mm-hmm. so much. They feed everybody and then enough to just feed the soil again Mm -hmm. so we need Mm -hmm. to model after that Mm -hmm. which is yeah not what's going on with the agricultural business model we have a a a lot to teach but i think um, more importantly right now we have a lot that we need to um, um, do for ourselves first because i think the first thing we need to do is to protect ourselves and our lands and our practices Um, and then we need to also be able to practice our crafts um, and then be able to provide for others and go look look I just actually wrote all of those three things down for my next steps for myself personally but that is amplifying the truth that we need to protect ourselves and our food supplies because we need to be able to practice our craft of actually growing that food of actually growing the 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 plant supplies we need to weave baskets and to um um, make the uh, to make sure that the forests are okay for the weapons that our warriors used to to and probably still do make and use and on all of those those practices are about coming together and being one with the place and and knowing where to find those things how to pick those things to make sure that they're in an abundance so your son or your other or your daughter whoever is going to mm-hmm. come to pick mm-hmm. um, will have next time and I remember um, something Orrin Lyons said is that when you go to pick, you pass by the first one because that may be the last one. And so, you know, you go find the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, that's so, of course, so wise. Of course, so, so wise. wise. So obvious, too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
The Native Seed Pod is produced by the Cultural Conservancy with generous support by Tamil Pius Trust. To contribute to our polyculture and to find out more information, please visit us at nativeseedpod.org or nativeland.org. What I've heard Winona LaDuke share is her definition of food sovereignty, which is you grow, gather, or hunt for the food to feed your family. Then whatever you have, you feed your community, your neighbors, as you're doing. And then you feed your larger community, and then, or your tribe, in our mm-hmm. case, or your reservation. And then if you have surplus, then you can sell to restaurants, to farmer's markets, or trade for other foods you may want, some seaweed from the coast mm-hmm. for our Anishinaabe, or you may want some wild rice from the Great Lakes, or you may mm-hmm. want some salt from Hawaii, mm-hmm. or you may want some cornmeal from the Pueblos. Mm-hmm. So I love those kind of concentric circles, like you know, putting a pebble in the water, that flow and exchange of energy energy or what you would call mana, life force of the food coming back from your family to, out to the larger communities and the land, of course, feeding the land, number one, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really rich. I want to also ask you, because you are a cartographer and such a person so tuned in to time and place and space, and we are in a very special season for Hawaiian people and for Pacific people right now in this fall season and you follow Mm. the moon cycle. Mm -hmm. Your calendar is very complex and very beautiful. Each day has its own meaning based on where we are at in all of those cycles of the the magical universe. But what is this time we're in right now? This is the time of Lono Ika Makahiki. It is our Makahiki time. It's the time of the, the beginning of our new year. Um, and there is some contested thoughts to that in some of our reading. There are some parts of the islands that believe it doesn't. We really shouldn't have a new year until March, when the the rains start settling down and we can actually go out and, and farm again. But that's specific to certain parts of the island, and it it again goes to the specificity of place when it comes to understanding the way that the celestial uh, movements affect the the atmospheric and the production of our plants. Um, we do have the one side of the island that doesn't get much rain until this time of year. And so that's when they get to be uh, refilled. But it is also n- not the kind of rain that's soft and gentle. It's the kind of rain that's kind of torrential. And so because of that, um, their side of the island doesn't really calm down until about March. And so there was, I remember reading in some, um, some document somewhere, a kupuna from that side of the island, an elder, in a, Hilo side on or the Kona, Kona side, side Kona because side. that gets mm-hmm. the winter mm-hmm. uh, rains, the torrential mm-hmm. winter rains more prominently. We all do, but that's the only real time they get a lot of rain on that side. And he was saying that, really, we can't do anything until about March when it settles. So that should be the beginning of the year. And so they actually, on their calendar, would place those months that would be considered the 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 the, the synonyms, or the not the synonyms, the words for Mar- April and March, March and April, mm-hmm. as the beginning of their year mm. and not the rise of Makali'i. But the majority of people... The, they, they, they're okay, Makali'i, as soon as you see it, it's, it's Makahiki. Makali'i being the Pleiades that rise, um, which is the, this time of year, the harvest season. Um, and that's what we honor, the harvest season during this time. And that's when our warriors uh, don't do their fighting anymore and they look really good dancing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is also the time when uh, there's some people that believe it doesn't really start until the full moon. And the truth is it depends on who you are and what ritual you're going to practice. Um, everybody gets excited because Makali'i is here. And so it's, it's, that's, when, that's when it is. But what the, those people who practice ritual and protocol really look at specific dates, specific things and atmospheric um, events for them to do their rituals and their protocols. But everybody is going to be doing lono chants mm-hmm. and that, translates into the wild and wet season that we have. Mm. That mm. The, and, and it's uh, sometimes I sit out and I look outside, okay, 
I know that we have, this is the Lono season, but can you guys stop making all these chants? We're getting so much rain, you peoples. <laughs> and, but that, again, is because I truly believe the, that the atmosphere and the elements are responding to the yes. calls of the people mm -hmm. who are so happy mm. that this time of year is here. Um, it's it's the time we get to um, clean uh, clean out, not do major projects, because really, are you gonna want to do it in the major rain? Mm. Not really, right? Mm -mm. So smart are people. So smart, and yeah. I just love the fluidity of your time and your calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so many people forget that time is a construct, like this Gregorian twelve month yeah. calendar and dates and this the rigidity of linear western time as opposed to the fluidity of indigenous time example, in our Anishinaabe uh, worldview, we actually have four past tenses, four present tenses, and four future tenses. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that cool? So, you know, all that alone really plays with your sense of time and just your sense of the seasons. On one side of the island, it's the new year. But no, the other side of the island, it, it, their new year where they do certain activities is going to be maybe three, four months later in our classic mm -hmm. idea. And that's really a beautiful teaching. So your book really disrupts a lot of these Western concepts yeah. in very profound ways. Yeah, I think that now that you bring this up, it reminds me how I describe the concept of time by through the concept of scale. I use the concept of scale to describe the concept of time in the book because I was... Of course, this came out of a discussion with Kekuhi, and then I ran with it, so I'm not sure which part was. Um, uh, this concept, I think, uh, came out of my thinking of her, her setting up the framework, that there's different scales that I discuss um, for Kanaka Hawaii cartography. There's the body scale, just our human bodies, that we orient ourselves up, down, left, right, you know, forward, backwards, and that's, that's a, a scale of orientation for body. And this doesn't mean just human body. We're talking rock body. We're talking tree body. We're talking fish body. And then there's this next scale that gets bigger, which is the island scale. And on the island, the island as a body in and of itself has an up and a down and an outside and an inside. So we have the mauka going in toward the island, ma toward uka, mountain. We have the ma kai, ma going toward kai, the ocean. So we have the inside, we have an orientation of the body of an island. That also gives us the concept of um, um, absolute and, um, what is the other word? Absolute, absolute coordinates, absolute uh, position an absolute location because the islands are somewhat stable. They, we know that they're on a plate and they're moving, but they're moving kind of slow compared to mm -hmm. a human life. Mm -hmm. So unless you have long, longitudinal information that say, oh, excuse me, indigenous peoples do have. But anyway, we understand the islands is not moving. So we get to see the celestial movements and that we, we can orient east being where those things rise. And guess what? The term for East is the rising. Um, <laughs> so logical. Amazing. And so these are terms that we understand because of where the island's being set somewhat. And we can look at the way that the, at the, the things around us move that help us to understand relative and absolute location. Then there's the next scale up, which is the scale of the planet. And if you think about how the planet moves as a body, and it actually kind of moves around a sun, and when it does that, we get the passing of time. And so that's where at difference, the concept of time is related to the concept of scale at a planetary size, planetary scale, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's, that's how I think I put it together. I don't know if that's exactly how other people see it, but the whole 
idea about this book was so that other people come up with ideas so that we can have conversations about four mm. different tenses mm -hmm. and find out how that fits into the whole scheme of understanding ourselves and the place that we that we live, work, and pray, mm -hmm. um, and 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 eat. And eat, yes, and love. And love. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Oh, that's beautiful. And I would, I'm also reminded from that gorgeous overview of time and scale of uh, the canoe, the va'a, mm -hmm. also has the up and the down and the different directions and is another way of orienting towards time and another form of navigation. I mean, it you is. basically described a bit also some of the basics of, of navigation and how your incredibly wise people navigated that beautiful Pacific Ocean Moana mm -hmm. um, for thousands of miles with just you yeah. know, traditional wayfinding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's kind of the root of navigating as well, I see. It is, definitely. Yeah. Understanding how do we orient ourselves and how we orient ourselves on this planet with the other planets around it. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're amazing the way their brains work. I just, oh, it's amazing. They, they can see 3D mapping in their heads. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. amazing. Yes, yes. Mm. And through and through their body, through the hula, through the dance, through the movement. Through the oli, to be able and, to know yes. that in certain places when you happen. And I remember speaking with a navigator recently who said, Oh, sometimes in chants that talks about certain types of features and happening and it does it and you don't know what the heck that chant is, what that part of the chant is. And then you go on the canoe and you happen to be passing between those two parts of the chant in the canoe and you see it happening right there in front of you and say, that's what that part of the chant is. It still occurs. That's what I love about the beauty of these chants is, that the, is the permanence of them because they are really relating the, the observation of the world around us. And until you go out and you do that canoe and do that journey and, and live that oli, you're not really gonna necessarily understand what every single line is. And I, I don't remember what the line is and it doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. What matters is that navigator was able to identify that feature or that activity in the chant because he was between the two points in the chant and he saw what was going on. He goes, that's what that is. Yes. Um, the chants, they're there for a reason. You know, they're there to help guide us. And so many times, you know, they are our 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 oral records. Mm -hmm. um, they they, mm -hmm. they are they are mutable. They, 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 we can change. We can change the understanding of what all the different parts are, um, depending on which kind of a master you are. Um, and you can. Uh, I like to say this, that they are told the stories that the chants come from, or yeah, I think the story comes first and the chant comes later because it's a shorter, mm -hmm. condensed version. Mm -hmm. So the chants are are composed beautiful so, so beautifully but the one their permanence is because of their ease to tell to children because their parents are capable of understanding the story well enough to tell it to children but the information packed inside those oli are things the masters are able to decipher mm -hmm. for the community and in one one little oli um, we have all of those elements that, that support all the different parts of our social um, culture. Mm -hmm. They're multi-layered. Yes. yes. They're yes. designed to be that way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So so brilliant. Wow. And in that orientation, I was fortunate to be on your beautiful island of Hawaii and was able to go see mm. your sacred mountain, Mauna, Mauna Kea. Kea. And that is such an orienting source, mm -hmm. it seems, for all Hawaiians, all yes. Pacific Island people. Yes. And there is a major event and controversy and stand being taken right yes. now on your sacred mountain. Yes. So please share with I would us love to. about I think, that. I think it's important. Um, not I don't consider myself a, a frontliner that stands at the at, right on the on the on the sidewalk or stands in front of the on the road people on the with barricades. guns and and clubs. And I I honor those people. They are warriors to be able to face that and stand in Kapu Aloha 
a form of, 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 of being, a state of being that honors the person who stands in front of you because with aloha, regardless of the fact that they are, um, they don't agree with your, the way, your, your views on the world, you stand there with aloha. Um, those people are amazing and we have right now kupuna, our elders as well as our kia'i, those guardians, um, standing blocking the, the passageway on, the, we call, they're now calling it the Allah Kupuna, Allah being road, Kupuna Elder, the Elder Road. Mm -hmm. It has been renamed from what it was once called the Mauna Kea Axis Road. Um, the state still, still thinks that's the name of it, but we know it's the Allah Kupuna from now on. Beautiful. They are blocking access of a monstrosity of a telescope that the astronomy department as well as the state of Hawaii and other consortium of astronomy departments are trying to build on top of the Mauna Kea, our sacred mountain, on an untouched northern plateau that is, um, it's, it's like 17, 18 stories high and then two stories, three stories down in the ground. Um, and as far as they're concerned, it's not going to be built on that mountain. They've been there for over 180 days. This is almost half a year. Um, stop trying to stop this. And, um, and, and they have stopped I, it I, I, at I first, I first believed that there, there, would be, there would be struggle and tragedy. So I watched the early, I was unable to be there, but I watched the early ones um, to make sure there wasn't any of that. And, I, and you know, it's because of the Kapu Aloha. I really believe the, 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 the Kupuna are setting an example. The people who are in charge of protocol, um, Antipua Lani Case is a person that I'm familiar with. Um, the person on, my, on the cover of my book, uh, Auntie Kekuhi, is also um, participating for her family and, and their knowledge of protocols. It's a beautiful thing. After 13 days, only 13 days on that mountain, Hawaii people were able to provide for the kupuna free food, free health care, there's um, daycare for children, there's education, uh, there's even somebody that comes up to cut hair, um, and massage people. So in 13 days, we had free stuff. <laughs> How long has the United States been trying to do that? <laughs> oh, gosh. I just thought that was so funny when I, I saw that posting somewhere, and I'm no longer on Facebook, so I don't know what the current situation is, but I'm still going to send out a shout out to all of those people who support um, the movement um, and, and our kupuna on Mauna Kea. Please do go check out um, the, the, the sites. I don't have any of them with me. Maybe oh, you can I'll, post I'll put it some for in, me. And I'll post um, some on our uh, native land, uh, pardon me, on our nativeland.org and our nativeseedpod.org website. Yes. We will have your wonderful biography, Renee, and links to your book and your issues and yes. any articles and certainly to links to the Mauna Kea yes. work that is happening because yes. we too at the Cultural Conservancy stand in solidarity uh, with the guardians and the kapuna there. And yes. it was a real honor to, to go there. And I was so humbled by the power and beauty and aloha of your kapuna and the people there um, doing protocols three times a day. Three times a day. For all people who come to be there in yes. a good way and lend their support and yes. provide in any way they can. Yes, and there's actually classes on, on that protocol I know, too, there's right there. Oh, I know. So if you don't know what you're doing, don't worry. Just go there and watch for first time and then go to a class and they'll teach you the That's protocol exactly. if you want to learn it's, There's it, a so. university there. There is. I got to see teach there. I look, yes. I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to go back and have another uh, A halau. Um, right? No, it's, oh, no, it's this, a... this one is just the, it's called Pu'uhulu Hulu University. Pu'uhulu Hulu is the mount or the little hill that they've set up the entire encampment um, because it actually belongs to Hawaii homelands mm -hmm. and so they're able to um, uh, make sure that it's safe for mm -hmm. Hawaii people. Um, it's the, I'm not going to go into all the legal yes, stuff yes. because you don't need all of that no. here. Um, go check it out. Mm -hmm. I do know that Antipua Cases organization is called the Mauna Kea Education and Awareness. Um, she works with Kahea, um, the um, organization that puts, if you look up kahea.org, you'll find a whole bunch of information that has to do with Mauna Kea and where they are right now. Beautiful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, my, my dear woman friend. Uh, is there anything else for our listeners you would want to share about 
your incredible work and you know the theme of, of food and nourishment and health and well-being for our listeners. Mm. Um, take care of each other, take care of the land, um, and be your best self. That's all I can really think of saying. Mm. Um, just um, messages from our Kupuna. Mm. Shared so much. Yeah. Aloha. Mahalo. Mahalo. Hey, Lee